0: You know, one of the ways I get through winter is I think about stuff you do when it's warm. Uh, you know, I, I'm just not a winter fan at all. Uh, I was telling somebody at the door, Corey uh, Courtright, one of our missionaries, uh, how I, I told y'all there's no snow in heaven and how he was disagreeing with me and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, but I, I, I think about, uh, sometimes I think about golf in the winter. And any time I think about golf, I usually my favorite memory about golf or one of my favorite comes to mind. It happened back in 1992. Uh, We had just moved back to Georgia after I'd been at seminary up in Tennessee, and um, we were at East Point Christian Church. We were working there, and and my father-in-law called. It happened to be the Friday before Palm Sunday, 1992. And he called and said, "Uh, my boss uh, has an offer for us I wanted to pass on to you. He said uh, he has given us his tickets to the Masters on Sunday. I, I, I don't think I dropped the phone, but I, I, I've almost... Now, if you're not a golf person, you don't understand probably what I'm talking about. But uh, let me say to you, for golfers, Augusta National is, is a, a course that we watch every April. The Masters Tournament's played. It, it's a course that... Uh, it's the only major that repeats the same course every year. Uh, and this is hallowed ground for golfers. And uh, even more, you need to understand that they only allow so many people on the grounds... Uh, patrons, they call them, to the point where these badges to get in the Masters tournament are, are passed down from generation to generation. When, when people have a dispute over assets that have Masters badges in the family, I mean, it's like you have the house, you have the car, I've got the badges, right? I mean, they're that special, they're that privileged. And so for my father-in-law to say, we could go to the Masters. Now, I had a problem. I was a minister. <laughs> Palm Sunday is kind of an important Sunday. I called my boss and got off, but it wasn't easy. Uh, but we went, and it was, it was amazing. Yeah, I'd always seen the Masters, or at least that time, uh, when I, mid-80s, when I became a golfer. I wasn't a golfer young, but if you know me, when I do something, it's all or nothing. It was all golf, and, and so I knew the layout of the Masters course, I, I memorized the map, but to see it in person, what an invitation that was. And then to see my favorite golfers, actually see them be, be from here to those stairs from them. Amazing. And we actually were behind the 12th tee when Fred Couples hit his shot. You might look this up. I don't have time to talk about it all. I could spend a while talking about this. My point is that we were only there because we were invited. And we were invited to come close uh, my father-in-law's boss, and how it changed my perception uh, of the masters. Psalm 100, I think, uh, tells us uh, the same kind of thing. It invites us to come close. It, the word is actually there in two places in verse 2 and verse 4, to come. Now, you might read in your English version, come in verse 2 and enter in verse 4. They're the same Hebrew word. Uh, it means to, to your welcome to come closer. You're welcome to, you're invited. You're welcome here. So the psalm reads like this and then I'll come back and break it down. A shout for joy to the earth, all the earth. Worship the Lord with the gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now, as I say this one long invitation, and, and even more I think about this uh, invitation, this psalm, when we come to Christmas time, the first thing it tells us is all come. As I say, the important word there is come, but but it says for all of us to come. Verse 1, if you heard it. It, it on the screen. If you read it again, shout for joy to the earth, all the earth. Now the word in Hebrew for earth literally means dirt, but I don't think it means for the dirt to somehow crowd uh, to come to God. I, I think uh, that word shout. It's for the people to acknowledge God. It's the people, uh, all of the people, to know that it is available for them a relationship, a special relationship with God. You might know. In the Old Testament times, the the Jewish people were the the chosen people of God. But God never intended for for a relationship, for His people to be exclusive. And that's a good thing because most of us have, uh, we would be Gentiles in today's world. Uh, But God, as He moves us into the New Testament age, as there is a shift from the Old Testament to a baby being born in Bethlehem, the institution of a new covenant, the coming of God in the flesh, Emmanuel, then that changes everything. And, and it's for all of us, this opportunity to know God, to, to worship God, to walk with God. If you don't believe me, you think about Matthew chapter 1. Now, Christmas season, uh, there are several places you turn. Maybe you turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Maybe you turn to Luke chapter 2, which is what we read often. I'll read a bit of it a little later in this message. Uh, Most of you probably didn't turn to Matthew 1. Matthew 1 talks about the coming of Jesus, but the Matthew 1 is the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, Some of us, uh, uh, very few of us were into genealogy and and figure out who who was the the father and grandfather, great-grandfather of whom. Uh, But a lot of us, when we read Matthew 1, we're like, blah, 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 right? It's from Abram down to the coming of Jesus, his ancestry or ancestral tree. And in Matthew 1, verse 5, it says this, Salmon the father Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, you might think this was kind of a who's who of a Jewish lineage, a Jewish aristocracy, if you will. I mean, that's what happens. You think about royal families overseas and and it's like this king and this prince. And listen, you need to know that Rahab, in the lineage of Jesus, Rahab was a prostitute from Jericho. She was not Jewish. She was not regarded as acceptable by most people. Yet, she's in this line. And it goes on, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth was not Jewish as well. She was a Moabitess. She was from the land of Moab. She was a, a pagan, a Gentile. Yet she's there in this line, Obed, the father of Jesse. I, I hope this gives you encouragement today. I, I hope it gives you comfort today that even in the lineage of Jesus are these outsiders. Maybe Maybe you feel like an outsider. Maybe you feel like that there are things you've done that wouldn't make you acceptable to God. Maybe you've been taught that, that you're the wrong gender or the, the wrong race or whatever to, to be welcome or invited to do this or that. That's not the case with God. When it says, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth, it means all. It means all of us. This invitation is for all. In the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis chapter 12, he makes that clear. I will make you into a great nation, he's God talking to Abram, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So all of us can come. The second point I see in this psalm is all come to God. All come to God and I emphasize God there. Verses 2 and 3, worship the Lord with gladness, come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God, it is He who made us, and we are His. Maybe that phrase jumped out at you, know that the Lord is God. It's like you would think, it'd be like me saying, know that Sid is Sid. That, That doesn't make sense, does it? Until you understand, there are two different words for God there. Know that Yahweh is Elohim. Uh, that to me makes a huge difference. And that phraseology also, it is He who made us and we are His. That, wh- how you'd understand that is He who made us and not we ourselves. Then it starts making total sense to me. You see, so oftentimes we, if not directly, we indirectly think that somehow God should be like we want Him to be, that we can make God into what we think He should be. We think that we are in a new age and, and we can make and, and bring all different kinds of belief about God together and and maybe shape God to be who we want Him to be. That's not what this psalm is saying at all. In fact, it's very much the opposite. What it's saying is, know that Yahweh, which was the, the pet name that the, the Hebrews had, it's kind of like dad or daddy for God, know that Yahweh is Elohim. Know, know that God is God's. Uh, the god of gods. Elohim. El is a singular word. It was used for a lot of different, or a, a compound for a lot of the different gods in that area. For example, Baal, that uh, was the Canaanite god of fertility. You know, the god that, uh, for instance, in Isaiah, he had the prophets of Baal uh, came against Isaiah, uh, excuse me, uh, Elijah, and, and they worked together. So what, what I'm, the whole point I'm making is what he's saying, know that Yahweh is Elohim. Know that he is the God, the one true God. Know that he is the God amongst many little g gods. And, and so it's important for us to understand this season that this invitation is to come to know God, but it is to, to meet God on his terms. It's to... To understand that we are welcome, but we need to shape our life to fit God, and not shape God to fit ours. And, and that's our tendency today. We we can get proud. We can think we know best, and and try to to fit God and His expectations. We, we can try to say things like, "Well, the God of of Islam is like the God of Judaism is like the God of uh, Israel or the Christianity," and and, and that's not. It's just not true. Now I think Christians, we should not be discriminatory toward people who believe in Allah or or the God of the Old Testament, the Jews who don't believe the Messiah has come. But I don't think we should compromise on this truth. Know that Yahweh is Elohim. Know that God is who He is and we are welcome as long as we make Him the God of our hearts. As long as we Give him our loyalty and our fealty. So all come to God. And the third thing I think we see here is all can come to know God. we just read that, verse 3. But let me emphasize to you by telling you what that word means. Verse 3 said, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. There are several words in Hebrew for know. Uh, This word, particular word, is found six times. And know... And it means something like this: um, you can know about uh, you can know about the Masters, you, you can know about the golfers that play at the Masters. But until you're there, until you experience it, you don't really know it. It's, in other words, it's meaning you know know about something is one thing; to really know something, to experience it, is another. And that's what that word means. So he's saying, don't just know about God. Just don't talk about God. But know that the Lord is God. We see another expression of this same Hebrew word in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 44. Uh, 31 to 34. And that passage is repeated in Hebrews chapter 8. In fact, it's the longest Old Testament passage that's repeated word for word in the New Testament. The Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 12 go like this. And notice, I'll show you where this same word for no is there. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming. And I quote this to you because it also gives us an understanding of the significance of Christmas. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put their laws in their minds, my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So what he's saying is I'm not just going to, have this covenant with the, the people of, of Abraham. I'm not just going to have this covenant with the people from the old covenant, the people of the law, but I'm going to have a new covenant. And, and other places in Scripture teach us that the the changing part, the impartation of that new covenant begins with the coming of God in the flesh, his son becoming flesh, Jesus born in that manger in Bethlehem. No longer will they teach their neighbor, say to one another, know the Lord. Because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You know, I think from there, my mind goes to what it tells us in Philippians. That at the name of Jesus, one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You, you can know about Jesus without knowing Jesus you can know intellectually and worship in mouth and worship uh, in a way that's not heartfelt or you can know and worship by surrender worship uh, by bowing worship by uh, falling on your face before him that's what this words trying to tell us is all you, you come to know that Yahweh is Elohim. Know that the Lord is God. Allow Him to be your Lord. The fourth principle this teaches us in this psalm is all can come closer. All can come closer. Just like an invitation, getting a badge for the masters on Sunday meant I could get on those grounds and get close to those golfers. So this psalm teaches us that all can come closer. Let me show you what that means. Verse four, enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. And praise his name. Now, to know this, you have to understand how people worshiped in the Old Testament. God lived in the Old Testament, he lived in Jerusalem, he lived in the temple. And so, from all over Israel, the Holy Land, people would come three times a year to worship God because to come to God's presence, like it says in verse 2, you had to come to Jerusalem. And you would come from wherever you were from. Nazareth perhaps it would be a three or four day caravan not a Dodge caravan a caravan uh, to get to Jerusalem and you'd go up because it's up high and you'd go into that place I had the privilege of taking a a group to uh, Jerusalem a few years ago and I'll never forget coming out of this tunnel coming up this big mountainous kind of hill come out of the tunnel and you look over and there it is the temple mount where the old temple was and And it's a, I can close my eyes now and still see it. That's the experience they would have had there. And you know they were excited because they were getting close to where God lived. And then it says to enter his gates and enter his courts. The temple was set up where you would go through a gate and you'd be in the court of the Gentiles, they called it. Anybody could come into that court. And then you could go into another gate, into a court, where men and women, Jewish men and women, were welcome. And then there was another gate where only Jewish men could go. And closer and closer you got, the excitement would be more and more. But even as close as that inner gate was for a a Jewish man, he could not go into the Holy of Holies. He could not be in the presence of God. Verse 2, when it says, Come before him. What it really means, the literal word is, come before the face of God. Come close to God. And verse 4 is saying, closer and closer you can come. But even as great as Psalm 100 is, it doesn't give us the understanding that the New Testament does. That as Jesus came as a baby and He grew up and He was the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. That miraculous thing happened when he was crucified. He defeated death. He also divided the veil between the holy of holies and the people. That's what it tells us, Matthew 27:51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rock split. What that means practically for me and for you is this. And that because Jesus was willing to come, if we believe, if we repent, if we surrender our lives to Him, confessing and repenting of our sins, as we're baptized, we receive the forgiveness of our sins, we receive the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. That is, God comes to live within each of us. He comes to walk and talk with us. So we can know God and He can know us. And come to live in us. James 4.8 says. Come near to God. And he will come near to you. Some versions say draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Wash your hands you sinners. And purify your hearts. You, you double minded. God wants to walk and talk with you. He wants to constantly have you the opportunity to be before his face. To be in his presence. Truly blessed we are. All that's possible, I've alluded to this, but let me say it clearly. All can come because Jesus came. All can come because Jesus came. Verse 5, for the Lord is good and His love endures forever. You know what that means to me? No matter what I've done to rebel against God, no matter what I've done that He wouldn't be pleased with, His love endures forever. A, A visual of that Is that Jesus would come even knowing that we would let him down. Even knowing that we wouldn't always live to please him. Because why? God's faithfulness continues through all generations. You see, all of it changed when Jesus was made flesh. The baby comes and it changes everything. It becomes a living permanent invitation for us. But then I don't know if you you notice how many times in the New Testament Jesus said, I've come, but he says to people for you to come. Over and over he says this. There's a man in Luke chapter 6 that has a withered hand. And no doubt he was on the outskirts of this group that had gathered on the Sabbath because people would have, the Jews would have thought there was something wrong with him because he had a a shriveled, paralyzed, paralyzed hand that he couldn't use Jesus knows he's there, and Jesus says to him, come near. And so the man comes, and Jesus has this man with the withered hand as the total focus of that narrative. And he says, stretch out your hand, and he heals his hand. That got him in big trouble with the Pharisees because they said, you can't heal people on the Sabbath. And Jesus basically said, the Sabbath is for doing good, and, and this is good. Another sermon, another message. What I want you to hear is that he says, if you got stuff, baggage that's weighing you down, stuff that's paralyzing you, I think you could make this assessment today come come near. You got stuff you're wrestling with, stuff you're carrying, this Christmas come Come near. Goes on in Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Luke chapter 18. Uh, they got uh, a lesson going on, and like we had last night in the 3:30 service, the Christmas Eve, uh, the place no doubt had lots of people in it, lots of kids, and kids are being kids. They're being loud and and you know making racket and running around and doing what they do. Why? Which is why they're always welcome here. We love chaos, but. They, they were doing what kids do, and no doubt the disciples were running around trying to do crowd go- shh, shh, hey, why don't you take that kid to the cry room? Hey, put a sock in it. Hey, make that kid sit down. You know, the disciples, I don't think, had their own kids, but they're saying, and Jesus said, whoa, whoa, let those little children come to me. For it's to such as these the kingdom of God belongs. See, you might not think you know enough to come close. He says, even with the knowledge of a child, come. And in fact, sometimes knowing you don't know is a good qualification for coming. Then Jesus goes to talk to the rich young ruler, Luke chapter 18. And this rich young ruler has a problem. He has a problem because he's rich. He thinks it's all about him. He thinks he doesn't need God. And Jesus says to him, you're welcome to have eternal life, but you need to sell what you have and then come and follow me. And sadly, the rich young ruler can't do that, but I want you to hear. He says, come. He says, you're welcome as long as your stuff is not more important than me. Then Luke chapter 19, you maybe know this story, he's walking in, in the town and he sees up in the tree this little man. <clears throat> this little man up in the tree, one because he was wee and one because he was a tax collector and people didn't like the tax collectors. He was up away from them and so he could see Jesus and Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come down because we're going to your house today, you know. That's a good model for us preachers. I ought to come to y'all and say, hey, I'm going to your house today. Fix me something to eat. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. But he says, come down. I'm going to your house. And then later he says to Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house today. Over and over Jesus says, come. I wonder how many times he said, come to you. Maybe he's impressing that upon you right now. I want you to understand That when God sent Jesus, God was saying, I want to marry you. And he likens it. Jesus coming as the the groom, the church being the bride. I want to marry you. I want to say I do. And I mean it. When it says his faithfulness continues for all generations, that word in Hebrew, faithfulness, means firm. It means to you, God says I do and he won't go back on it. There will be no divorce. It means God says, I want to spend my life with you and, and I'm not leaving. The only way this can end is if you move. What you hear, I hope today, is God saying to you, come. And then let me close with Luke chapter 2, the famous Christmas story. And there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You know, I don't think that meant military peace. I don't think it meant geopolitical peace. I think that means on earth peace to those, peace with God. Taking away the separation that sin causes. Taking away that tendency for different ones of us to be excluded from different groups. An invitation for peace between you and God on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, that was nice. Let's go back and do what we were doing. Or they said, well, that was nice, but, but we got to get our rest. No. The shepherds said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The angels invited them They said, come, and they went. And if you know what the story says, the angels, they were God's messengers, appeared to the shepherds who were basically in that culture, nobodies, and they said, come. And the shepherds come, and they were moved, and they went telling others about him. They began to walk with him. They didn't just know about him. They knew him. And so I ask you today what message is God trying to speak to you? If you've been a Christian a long time, I think you still can come closer. If you are a new Christian, you can come closer. If you're exploring spiritually, you can come closer. I'd welcome your calls, your emails. We could sit down and talk more. But for all of us, I think this is an invitation to come closer. Father, as we think about these things today, I pray for uh, you to speak to us. I thank you for you sending Jesus and Him being willing to come. For that invitation meant no longer did you live in a place in Jerusalem, the Holy of Holies, but but you changed your way of interacting with us to, to come and be personal with us, to live intimately with us, to know us. I thank you that all of us are welcome. But you don't force yourself on any of us. I pray today that we'd open up our hearts to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.